Good. So far? Yeah? Okay, there are two copies, two handouts. We were in the middle of the first one that began on the page one is Helilu Haroyim. We started Bracious Mamluchos Yayakim Men So we began last week with the Nevoa that was given in the time of Yayakim. If you look at your chart, there's only one set. Okay, I probably held the other one over here to see if we're going to get to it. So, in your original chart, you have Yoyachos, Yoyakim, Yoyachin, and Tzitkio. We're up to Tzitkio, but I'm copying from Yirmiya here, and I want to show you two aspects of his Navu. It's the whole Sefer Yirmiya, which one's parallel. And I took two parts which I think are crucial to our understanding of the Pesukim in Malachim Beis. So this goes back to Yemiyo's Nevoah and his treatment, the hands of the people of Yoyakim and Yoyakim himself. It was not easy to be a Navi during these times. And uh, that's a gross understatement. It was extremely dangerous, uh, humiliating, and Yeshaya was dealing with a similar circumstance and he was killed by his grandson Manasha. The good news here is Yermio won't be killed even though it's going to go, it's going to be touch and go and we get very close uh, in a couple of times we'll see today and uh, he will be actually in jail at the time of the Churban, but he survives. And Vuchanes is going to give clear instructions to his men to make sure he survives recognizing his pivotal role. I'd like to say the word recognizing his godless. If he really recognized godless, he would have done tshuva. He was scared of him, or he recognized that if he's a shliach of Hashem, and some, I'm not going to give too much credit to Mukhanesa, if he's a shliach of some sorts, he better not kill their prophet and the Naviyadar. Whatever his recognition was, it wasn't very good because he wouldn't have performed the atrocities he will perform. But he does leave him alive and he gives clear instructions he shouldn't be harmed. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to probably get to the uh, Corbin during the three weeks. Not coincidentally. And right now we're still back in the time of Yehoyakim. And the Pesukim we saw last week on page... One and two, which we covered already. It started Bracious Mamlachos Yayakim Men And he is already giving his Navua Barabim, Yemiyo, that is, that the Besamekdash will be destroyed if Chuva is not done. Chuva is still a possibility. Chuva is always a possibility. And over here, it's a possibility in terms of actually avoiding the Churban. And there's going to be a different message to the Chuva for Tzitkiyo, as we'll see in part two. Let's go to Pasuk Chaf, Perichavav Pasuk Chaf. It's a little cut off at the top, I guess, page five. It's supposed to be a five at the top there. When Yemiel finishes Nevoah, the rabble-rousers, Rishayim, and those who didn't want to hear it, arrested him and threatened to kill him. And... The defense 
as they brought him to the tribunal of the king of Yoyakim. You can imagine what type of men were handpicked for this. So the defense was that there were similar nevuas at the time of Chizkiyo HaMelech, and they didn't kill the Navi. They did tshuva, and they were saved. Let's go back to Pasuk Yotes. They davened. They did tshuva and Hashem saved them at the last moment and Yushalayim was saved and the troops of Sancheir were killed in the middle of the night. And if we harm the Navi here, we are doing a great disservice to ourselves. That was the defense voiced by the tzaddikim. And they were recounting what was not ancient history, but the history in the time of Chizkiyah Melech, when there was a Navi Emes, Micha Hamarashti, and he not only got away with what he said, but they actually listened to him in a meditation, and Yushalayim was saved. Now contrast that with Pasichaf. Rashi says Pasichaf was the narrative of, we'll call it the prosecution, in this trial. And they said, well, you want to quote history? We're going to tell you about another Navi that said these things and Yehoyakim executed him. So if you want to talk precedent, we have a different version of what happened at a different time. It sounds like one person or one group of people saying it. This is actually the opposite. Rashi tells you in just like Uriah is going to be killed, Yirmiyah, we suggest, should be killed as well. So this is the prosecution voicing their, their version after the defense. And he said the same thing. Same message. And... It wasn't taken very well then, and we're not going to take it very well now. When a person hears the uh, difficult truth, and the truth hurts, so there are a number of ways you can deal with it. You can shoot the messenger, or you can start dealing with the emiss. First group wants to deal with it. The second group, speaking over here, group that originally arrested him, doesn't want to deal with it. Yishma. This is the history again of Uriah ben Shemayah. It was another of the MS. And after he spoke the truth, see over here that there were a number of Nevi'im who were sent to tell the truth. And some of them were killed. Next page, page six. Hamisai, the Melech Yoyakim, the Russia, put out a warrant for his arrest. And he ran for his life and he ran to Mitzrayim. See, so would think Yoyakim just wants to silence him and get him out of the way. So if he's in Mitzrayim now, fine. But Yoyakim was really out to get him and he sent his men to Mitzrayim to get him. And they find him, arrest him, and bring him back. And he has a similar trial, unfortunately, 
for him there were no or little defense and uh, no people willing to stand up or not enough and he's executed there always willing people to uh, to stand up for the truth but if the tzaddikim are silenced by the strength of the malchus they're not going to get anywhere or perhaps some of them were killed as well and this is the end of the speech of the Rishayim. See, here we have the trial is proceeding, and the Tzadikim say, don't kill him. He has a message, it's true, and we should listen to do tshuva, like they did in the time of Chizkiah, and the whole city was saved. And the Rishayim said, no, there was somebody else during this reign, and after he said what he said, he had to run to Mitzrayim, we got him anyway, and killed him. And they were suggesting the same sentence for Yermio. The fact that I mentioned to you that Yermio is going to survive, which we know, because the rest of Sefer Yermio is going to be written, and we know the history, is a consolation. But the fact that this was so close, and they almost killed him, not the first time, not the last time, gives you an idea of what was going on back by Yehoyakim. And we're going to fast forward soon to Tzitkio and... Uh, who was at Sadiq Be'etzem, and he wasn't really getting anywhere then. It was just as toxic, just as dangerous. Yes, I saw a hand somewhere. Chavdalat ends with the one person who steps in. Ach yad achikam ben shafan haisa es yermiyo, levilti teis haisa b'yara amlam There was a tzaddik who's remembered as a tzaddik. Imagine being printed and say for yermiyo, he's the man who stepped in, grabbed him, and pulled him away and wouldn't let this happen. And he saved him. That means, I always like the silver lining. What? Doesn't sound like they did. It's under the reign of Yoyakim. And Yoyakim didn't really have a tshuva agenda. There were always people who were doing tshuva. There were always people, before the war, there were tens of thousands of tzaddikim, there were many people, Haskalah was really wreaking havoc, and there was a huge issue. But if somebody writes up history and says, oh, uh, before the war, everybody was going off of their that's not true. There were always, Baruch Hashem, a critical mass of from people are going to pass on the Messiah, and that's why we're still here, and we'll remain here. Christ will always exist, that's the promise. With that said, over here for Yirmiya, there were enough people Achikim ben Shafan and I guess a few of the other people who grabbed him. I can't imagine he was the only one. They would have killed him. Bechet Egel, the original Sadiqim who stuck up for the Emists, were no longer with them. And Aaron thought he was next. He was willing to be Mezenef. She just wanted to save Clay as well. So it was very dangerous. And the fact that they managed to kill the others, or some of the others, showed you who the vocal majority were. So did they do tshuva? I'm sure some people did tshuva. But you need, whatever the number in Shemaim is, you need enough people to avert a korban. And as we know, that's not going to happen, hence the three weeks. Yes? It's not people going to by saying the Nahuwa. It's You would think, if you're... If your great-great-great-grandfather when faced with the pogrom, when the Cossacks came in and when the Crusaders came in, and uh, he asked the Rav, and the Rav said, it says in Simon Kufnan and Zion, in Yeridei, they have to get killed. He's absolutely doing the right thing. And then he was killed. 
you'd say, well, he was willing to die, so where's the justice? Not a kasha, right? No, the anavuah is not really different than what we have in Shulchanah. We're all Nevi'im. In life, things get very difficult. You want to know what to do. So you look it up in Shulchanah, or you ask a shayla, and that's uh, not a direct nevuah, but Hashem is telling you what to do. No, so Hashem is telling me what to do. So why didn't I survive the experience? The answer is most of the time you do, and sometimes you don't. The fact that he was told to give an avua is true, and the fact that he gave an avua is also true. And the fact that he ran for his life is what you're supposed to do. The fact that he ultimately was killed by Yoyakim is the fact that Yoyakim has Bechira, and the nevuah was give over this nevuah. There was no promise to this particular Navi. Or the greatest Nevi'im, besides Meshach Ben, Yeshaya, Navi, gave a nevuah, a second nevuah, a third nevuah, <laughs> it's a whole safer Yeshaya. He was ultimately killed. Well, he killed, killed by Menashe, his grandson. See, that's uh, more horrific than almost any other ending. Uh, the fact that Hor was killed, he was killed on the spot as soon as he started objecting. You can't build an angle. That's usher. That's illegal. They didn't like that message, and he was killed. Did he do the right thing? He's supposed to object. He tried. Here, the Navi was told to do it. The Navi didn't have, there's no Ferish of Pusik. This Navi's not mentioned elsewhere. This Navi that was killed around to Mitzrayim. So he knew he should run for his life, and hopefully uh, they'll forget about him. They didn't forget about him. There's no inherent, if you're asking, is there an inherent protection if you're given a job by Kosh Baruch Hu? The answer is no. We have a Kalal Shluch and Mitzvah in Nizakin, unless it's Shriya Chazeka. This was a very dangerous situation, the whole job of Shriya Chazeka. Yirmiyo Anavi does, if you read through the rest of Yirmiyo, which at this time we're not uh, doing, which would be better if we have the time for the whole Sefer, but Takash Baruch does tell him, keep going back and I will be there for you and he is saved, but you had to be Yirmiyo Anavi to have the Amunah and Bitochen to wait to the last minute because you think this is a close call. Uh, we're in a few moments going to see in part two uh, when he's thrown into the dungeon and he's seeping into quicksand and he uh, it's going to be a close call in times. You have to have enough bitachin to get up in the morning and do this again. But, uh, but he, he was saved. So it depends how beferish. If it says beferish, no matter what happens, he's going to survive. Fine. Obviously, Yeshaya didn't have that promise long term. Yirmiyo will survive. So it's not Tzadik Rala Rosh but that doesn't surprise anybody. Hor was killed instantly and he died on Kiddush Hashem. The Taina and Iron by the Egel is very complex, exactly what he was thinking, what the Taina was, and so complex. Moshe Rabbeinu asked, what'd they do to you? Why'd you do this? So he sort of, all Mepharshim say that he saw Hor was killed. He was willing to be killed himself, but if they kill him, they're going to have no way to do tshuva, and he wanted to sort of stall so that they shouldn't kill uh, the Navi, the Kain Gadol, and not make it till Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, arrival. And it sort of worked. Well, depends how you... Aaron remained alive. They didn't have that Avera of Ritzicha. They still had Avodah Zarah. And a lot of people are going to get killed, but Klai Yisrael survives. The Cheshben hurt him personally. He lost two out of four of his children because of that. But Aaron Akain goes down history as Aaron Akain. Not saying at the end of the day, was that decision correct or incorrect? Uh, we'll never know. But he personally will survive, and HaKadosh Baruch knew that here he meant to completely the Shame Shemayim. So again, Achyad Chavdal, Achyad Achikam Ben Shafan Haisa, Yermiyo, 
So I was getting to the silver lining. There were enough good people that were still interested in protecting him and hearing the truth. And they saved him. Now we have another aspect of his nevuah. This is a big machlegs in the Farshim. He gets a nevuah over here that's very long term. He's giving a nevuah of something that's going to happen not necessarily only in the time of Yoyakim. And that's fine. Nevoah can be for the immediate action of what's going to transpire or not transpire if you do tshuva. And the long term, and sometimes very long term. You look at Daniel, we haven't figured out a Kiyuzev what's going on. It's all about the uh, Arba uh, Goliath and the end of time and uh, Goliath Yishmol somewhere there, which we're sitting through. And it depends on what the message was. Here, look at Rashi and Pasuk Aleph. Three years before Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene, there's a Nebuah about him already. A very strong Nebuah. And one of those things, when emperors came on the scene, you didn't really know what hit you. And he was a non-entity in terms of the world powers and the a world player. And the Navi here is giving a Nebuah about him and more importantly, how we're supposed to react to his ascension to the throne. And you'll see in a moment what I'm referring to. This is going to give us probably the most troubling and bizarre imagery of the Navi Yirmiyot. It's almost hard to picture it as the Pusik describes it. He's given a Nevoah, he's given a Tzivoy by Gosh Baruch Hu. Make yourself a yoke. Now, yokes are, Kriyashima? Uh, almost, okay. That's a yoke. You, you, did you plan that? Uh, <laughs> I say yoke, he thinks Kriyashima. Well, that's Kabbalah Samo Choshamayim. This is a very difficult. I think already we can even, um, you've done a great job, we can even retire your, so you can concentrate better. I think anybody here doesn't know that you say Kriyashma already, we should, uh, so uh, can almost retire it, so you can uh, concentrate. Kayam Hashem, what's this Sivoy? I say lacham aseris amaitis. So what's a yoke? Besides Kriyashma. So aren't too many farmers in the room. So you picture a yoke, maybe an animal. The animal has a yoke and have it over the thing and it's supposed to go straight and you're supposed to steer with it. Human beings aren't supposed to be wearing yokes unless you're Yirmiya and you're now going to have to wear it for years and years, like 15. So if you go back in time and appear in Yushalayim, you'd see a lot of interesting things going on. Well, you'd be zeichel to see the Avaidah, still going on, the base of Mitish, and the Kain Gadol. And if you'd ask to see the Navi Adar, most people would probably say, why would you want to do that? And we tried to kill him yesterday, and it didn't work. And if you didn't get a clear answer, where is he, who is he, and you're walking around, then you see a man bent over with a yoke on his shoulders walking around Yushalayim for 15 years. I, it's hard to picture a yoke I, I, Yaakov maybe you can get us a picture of a person in a yoke do they keep slaves in yoke did they ever do this they get us a picture I assume it was like a, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm American. I can think of the uh, colonial times when they put a guy in a stockade. His head and his hands went in and they were throwing eggs at him, whatever they did to him in Salem, Massachusetts. But okay, that was a limited time, an hour or two hours a day, two days. Here he's walking around in a yoke over just the physical pressure on the neck and the, and the head. He's told to make this, the Nevi'im often got a, a very uh, vivid description that they were supposed to convey to the people in real time. They would, we have Nevi'im, they were supposed to dress the part and walk the part and, and do it to represent whatever they're representing, often, unfortunately, Klaizo and Golis. Um, here, it's the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not only Klaizel, but the rest of the world, and how real it's going to be that this man is going to come on the scene and be absolutely so powerful that no one can raise their head, and you better put yourself in that and accept it, which is not going to be a very popular message. As unpopular as the message for truth is, this is going to go against the basic human need of freedom and pride, and which are meters that can serve you well in the proper context, not when it's false nationalism and you're supposed to be doing tshuva. If you don't do tshuva, you have to submit to gullus. And that's also tshuva. That's also part of the kapara. And most of the people are not going to want to do it. That's a theme that has continued. You contrast that with the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the most famous example. So... We never had a full shear on it. It's a painful topic. Most people, when I say most, there were very, very few survivors. So it's very difficult to get a real account of who held what. But many of the reports, we're talking about Yechidim, one, two, three people who survived who were able to have the Nehmanis to say, what did Rabbi Menachem Zem behold? He was the last standing Gadol in the Warsaw Ghetto. So the common report that's said on the street, which probably true, although I say probably because there were some, those, those were close to him who say that that's not exactly accurate. And you can argue both sides, but the commonly accepted version is that he supported it at such time when he realized the Nazis are coming to kill everybody or chip them to Auschwitz and therefore if all is lost anyway, you might as well get some bullets and take down as many Nazis as you can and kill Amalek and show that you're not just going. That's, even if he said that, that's overdone because that basically the message of Yad Vashem, among other messages, I'm not saying it's all bad, but primary message certainly for the Kaychi Yadi of the building of Medina afterwards is that we're not going to do this again and never again. And uh, they, didn't, they went like sheep to the slaughter, which is not true. Anybody understands even the first five pages of uh, any Holocaust account understand that there was nothing you could do. And it's the most common mistake in Holocaust history is that there was something wrong with the uh, Gullus Yid decision-making process. It's so wrong and it's so, it's so detrimental to the understanding of the uh, from people who went. If somebody wasn't from, he doesn't know the proper Ashkaf. Okay, I'm not going to blame him. He never learned. But the from response in the Holocaust, uh, the Nazis had it down as only the Nazis in Machshimam can to such a science, uh, tricking everybody every step of the way, and the, the brain can't comprehend that anybody would ever come up with such a plan or such a plot and really do this. And Adva Bechlal, till they were there, and you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. The example I like bringing is the famous account where a few guards from the Japanese army had captured a number of well-fed, healthy, six-foot-four muscular marines, and they marched them and 
to wherever and tortured them. And, and people look at the stories as they were, they outnumbered them. Why don't they attack them? Why don't they do something? And so they were captured and they were scared. And these are Marines who ate yesterday, the day before, the day before, and not half-starved people who uh, never fought a battle and were hoping that the, the worst is what they're witnessing and it can't get worse than this. Which, in 2020 hindsight, we say, well, yes, it can. The answer is nobody believed it. Nobody, how can you believe such a thing? So at such time when they started getting too many reports and that they saw it was true, it's possible that Das Terror would have been, yes, at this point in time, no sense in just standing here. Why don't you kill some Nazis, even though we're clearly not going to win the war? Okay. You could hear such a thing. The argument against that, and this is, uh, people get very uh, fiery about this subject. It's a sugya like anything else, Leilenu. And Hilchas Yehovah Yavar, and Hilchas Kiddush Hashem, Chil Hashem. You can't just make up what you think is a Kiddush Hashem. So you also can't make it up if you're not going to accomplish anything, and more people might get killed. The argument against it from people who were there, who survived, is that the chance of survival in this scenario, anytime during the war, once you were stuck in the net, once you were trapped, the chance of survival was, I don't know, give a number, less than 2%. Would that be an accurate 1%? It was, it was an ace. Anybody that survived was an ace. So within the ace, B'dera Klal, anybody who was even shayach to having the ace bichal, the bracha shebichal, was normally a young, healthy individual. And the argument against this is the people who are going to be killed the quickest in such a struggle, in such an uprising, were the youngest, healthiest people who were able to fight, who had they been shipped to Auschwitz, had a greater chance of survival. That's a, that's a very potent argument. Because if you're looking at the numbers, the only way you'd be, I wouldn't say at Sivu, there's no, there's no commandment to do something, but the only way anybody would say, yes, fight, now it's a Kishab, you have nothing to lose, is if you have nothing to lose. If all the people fighting are the people most likely to survive, then it's not at all pushed that it should be done, which is why there's a pickbook on the, on the Mahal, not Chassashon taken away from the godless of anybody who fought Lamaisa. They did take down Nazis, and it was some f- form of Kirsh Hashem, not because of the way it was taken by the secular historical view that this is the only part of the Holocaust that we want to look at because everything else is embarrassing. That's connected our Hashkafa completely and does a terrible injustice to the covet of those who died of Kiddush Hashem from or not yet from because most people became from at the, at the uh, edge of the uh, pit or the uh, entrance to the gas chambers. So you have to take it very carefully in context because the Pesukim and Yirmiya and the Pesukim and Malacham are all about this subject. That's why I'm mentioning it. Those who continue to fight against the Beferisha Nevoah of the Ish Hashem, the message directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu through Yermio, was don't fight, give up, put yourself in the yoke. He's in control, and this is part of the Dvar Hashem. If you didn't do tshuva to avoid the Chorban, at least do tshuva while you're in Gullahs to accept it. That's going to be the whole message. Can you imagine? We're trying to struggle with it as I say it, right? And if you're there at the time, most people said, no, we're Jews fight, we're proud, we're not going. Nebuchadnezzar um, is not going to push us around. So that's false nationalism which is deadly because hundreds of thousands of more will be killed because they didn't do it the way plan B was told to them. Is that, okay, you didn't do enough tshuva, now the Chorban's coming. Or if the Chorban comes, they say he's supposed to act, and they didn't do that either. And they didn't do that even after the war was over under Gedalia. And they killed him when we get there. That's also part of the false nationalism. Gedalia is not even from the Malchus. People killed him before Malchus based David. 
So they did it for self-serving reasons. They were jealous why they appoint him, and we're not letting him, but he's going to appoint a puppet, a puppet over here. Where from? Al Beis David. But they convinced themselves it's the right thing to do. It's a mitzvah. How dare Nebuchadnezzar appoint somebody over here who's not from Al Beis David? It'll give you a new understanding of why would they want to kill Gedalia? It's a nice person, a tzaddik. He's, this is Emashiyesh. What's the war's over? And says, no, what wasn't over for them? It's all the same problem, and we're going to be speaking a lot about it because Gaiva Bikadusha could be a positive Mida, but when Gaiva is misdirected and the Navi says, no, put yourself in a yoke and accept, then you have to accept. Whether worse or get a worse situation or not, is this Machlekes? And if the first version is correct, which sounds better to us, then yes, why not? We're going to be killed anyway. And even the people who are healthy, the strong ones, they still had a 2% chance. So they're all marked men and guy What difference does it make? You might as well kill some Nazis. Okay, maybe that's a Sfar, maybe, yeah, maybe not. But both Sfar is Sfar at home that talk about this in real time of interviews with survivors. And there are two sides to that story. And the two sides weren't, was Rabbi Nachman Zemba right or wrong? The two sides were, what did he say? And, and if he says something that was factually incorrect because they didn't have any information, that's also not a tie on him. If they thought that, uh, that Mamish Noam was going to survive, and you know, it looked like that. But we know historically the people who did, by and large, were the strongest and healthiest when they got to the camps were selected to work for a few days or a few weeks, and some of them survived, very few. So should that make a difference in the decision-making process? That's a, a painful question. Here, it's painful, but they had a direct message from Hashem during the Holocaust. There were no Nevi'im telling us what Hashem wanted. And the message was, accept what is coming. If you're not doing tshuva to save the whole situation, then part of the kapara is accepting it, as he will describe right now. Yeah? People have listened to Yirmiyah and accepted the yoke. What was the end game? Was the end game that, that Hashem was eventually restored? Seventy years. They knew exactly. Seventy years. Accept it? Survive. Yeah, but how many more people would have survived to come back? It was ten times as bad as it could have been because they didn't listen to Yirmiyah. It was a hundred times bad as it could have been because they didn't listen and there was a Chorban. But after that, he's giving a long, this is Yoyakim already, we're three Malachim away from the end. He's already telling them, by the way, this is not going very well and there's a king coming and he will be an absolute emperor and you've got to cooperate, which they will not by and large. And Tzidkiyo HaMelech himself is going to rebel. And he already was a good man, but he was under so much pressure from the people, the will of most of the people too little, too late, was, oh, we're going to fix this up, we're going to show them, and they still had fighting spirit, but they weren't doing tshuva. The Holocaust, at least that wasn't a taina. There was no, the people were not from, well, many of them were Tinegashinish at this point, and the ones that, you know, you fight, there was not to fight, they got a bullet here, a bullet there, and the, the, the Polish underground weren't exactly of uh, Yisrael in general. So anything they got their hands on was a Chiddush Nifla, and it was a joke. They were coming in with tanks, and they, so the first day, yes, they were caught by surprise, and they pushed them back. And then afterwards, they came with the Nazi war machine and with planes and tanks, and then they raised everything to the ground. There was no Havamina, this is going to work. Question is, is there any aspect of Kiddush Hashem? The answer is a, a, a possible maybe, depending on what the Metzius was. And but we do know anybody involved in the fighting were the strongest, the youngest, and anybody they caught the age, they shot there, they didn't, they, they didn't send them off to Auschwitz. So question is, would they have survived? And this is not my chidushim, the two sides of the story. There's hundreds and hundreds of pages written on this. No, so we, 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 know, we know what the number is afterwards. It's before, during, after, but it's not 
heavily emphasized now because we're still in the time of Yoyakim. He's The last thing we had is he's telling them to do tshuva. But all of a sudden now he's saying, okay, it's like almost plan B. And what's going to be? So the first thing is the fellow Nebuchadnezzar are coming and you've never seen anything like it. And he's going to have absolute dominion. We're going to have 10 plus tzukim describing his strength. This is to show the people as the yoke is. And um, it's going to be plan B. What do you do and how do you react? Is it, is it possible that had they accepted the yoke as you know, had told them that the seven years wouldn't happen? It would have been seven, seven weeks or seven, seven years. Or, At this point from the last tzukim, the korban could still be averted completely. Uh, but when you get to the discussion, which is in set number two, we'll get to not this week, uh, the message to Tzitzkiyo, much later, right before the Chorban, is surrender, you'll survive, you'll go to Bovel. And he wanted to, Tzitzkiyo himself. His cabinet members would have probably impeached him or killed him or however you want to put it. And he was scared. Now, could he have survived? Yermio said, don't be scared. I have an avu of Hashem, you will do. That takes a lot of bitachon. And he wasn't strong enough. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that, that's how this is going to, at that point, it was, we're leaving. How many people are going to survive? Do you want to survive? And it would have been a different picture. At this point, at, at this point from the before Perich of Zion, he was still calling for tshuva. Now he's giving you a look at what's going to happen if that doesn't happen. So let's go to the Pelagias. Remind me, we'll start Perich of Zion next time again. Yeah, 15 years. He's walking around. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine 15 minutes. He walked around. So here, it was besides the pain and the, the humiliation, besides the pain of just being in such a position, the humiliation of, he's the God of the Lord, there are people looking at Shlime. What was that? That funny looking thing. What is that? He was trying to send a message. But No. No, just him. That's what I'm saying. If you go back in time, you, you're now walking the streets of Shlime. You say, what's that? Can you imagine the godless of Yermio? You know, people think, think of the look at Yermio as a, as a very sad, tragic character. He wasn't, the tragedy was going on in Klyasrol. Godless Yermio, he's willing to do this and take this uh, heat and harassment and constant danger and humiliation and do this for years and years because he cared so much about Klyasrol. He was crying before the Horban, during the Horban, after the Horban. It'll give you, when you get to Tishabov, once you know this about Yermio, you have a different, different picture of what's going on. Hate to, hate to have to start the three weeks before the three weeks, but that's what we're doing. Let's go to the Peleyates. Page Reish Lamed Aleph. So we have the ability to go Yog and Simcha. So we're talking about Chasnas. Speaking of us switching tracks. So we're discussing yesterday and last week the chiyuv to be misameach chasan and kala and the chasan's daimelamelach and you have to misameach him not only the singing and the dancing but you can even tell him if you're close enough what an opportunity he has to do tshuva it's like a yom kippur and it's a fresh start and that itself should give him simcha I think a lot of people don't know that or they know that they're fasting and they know they're saying vidui but it's an opportunity for simcha as is yom kippur yom kippur is primarily a very upbeat day. We sing during Yom Kippur, okay, there are some very tense moments and some sad moments during the Vidui, but we're quick to sing. It's Yantif, and rightfully so. It's a day of Simcha where we have the opportunity to wipe the slate clean. And the Chasnan Kala have that twice during that year. Second paragraph, 
Yeah, this paragraph, perhaps we should have landed this on a Shabbos. Okay, we'll put this on video anyway. This is going to get a little uh, sticky. <laughs> but he's going to warn us that when you're being you have to make sure that the simcha, what is said, is uh, clean above board, not insulting. We spoke about the various gram and things like that that could be said. If you have a batzchan, get a good one that knows how to really be misamayat the family, not insult the family, and have everybody else laugh. And you can go into that territory quickly if you're not careful. And over here, we're talking about Maraktan Fneakala. You've got to be very focused on the sneeze aspect, not to have mixed dancing and taruvus and the like. And the fact that it says Maraktan Fneakala, he points out, as Mark Subas says, there were certain Gedele Elam many thousand years ago who could do that without any concern. Those days are long gone, and therefore it's going to be usher in many scenarios where you think that you're doing a mitzvah rabbah and really it's just causing a lot of estaklis. Um, so you'll say, well, certain circles, very from Heilige Yidin, have a mitzvah tance, which we uh, people here, by and large, don't. If you don't, then you shouldn't. And if you do, then you should keep up your meaning. And it's complex, and if people don't know about it, and they've never seen it, so it's confusing to them. But if it's done right, they send everybody else home and all the Bacharim home and is done in a very sneezetic way and, uh, and the minig should be we don't do away with minhagim if somebody has it no reason to attack it even though for somebody who doesn't have the minig just stomp to pick up a minig that's not our minig uh, we're not parving the issue so did I say that delicately enough uh, is a way to protect the covet abrius and the uh, fact that those who have the minig have a right to it and those that don't um, shouldn't be starting it uh, there uh, one other example which I don't want to go into now certainly we'll maybe discuss it next Shabbos where it's uh, very common uh, among those who talk about mitzvotans and it's so common it almost goes unnoticed in those circles if you even bring it up as an issue uh, but we don't do it either and interesting reasons why the minute developed part of a Kenyan uh, remind me on Shabbos we'll uh, discuss it if you're getting married or your son is getting married in the near future uh, and you don't know what I'm referring to, you'll uh, ask me, and I'll instruct you based on your background persuasion and the other things that are going on. The Pelliates is clearly focusing on the fact that whatever you're doing or not doing, ask a shayla if you're not sure, and the Tzniyaz has to be kept. But this is in the time of the Pelliates already. Gemara says by the Hespid of Mashiach Ben Yasef, they couldn't even sit together. They had to have separate seating. It's a Hespid, people in a very bad mood. Mashiach Ben Yasef was just killed, and everybody is saying Hespidim, and yet that was a Kavachim, the Gemara and Sukkah, where they felt they needed a higher Mechitza and a bigger wedge and less taruvas by the Simchas Beis HaSheva in the Beis HaMikdash. Also, you think people would be well-behaved, it's the Beis HaMikdash, and generally they were, they wanted to make sure that it stayed that way, as you had Yerisa Darius, and they made the Tikkun Gadol and the Kavachimer, how do you make a new construction of the Beis HaMikdash? We have a plan, we have a floor plan for the Beis HaMikdash, you're not allowed to just do whatever you want. The Gemara says, yes, that's true, and they wouldn't be able to do this and start building balconies and have the women up there watching Simchas Beis HaShreva if we didn't have precedent. The precedent is the Kalva Chaimer, because they have a Pusik by the Hespit of Mashiach Ben Yesed, they can be sitting separate, and that's during a Hespit, Kalva Chaimer, during a Simcha. And that's what the Gemara says, and the Gemara says they acted on it, and they, they built it. So that's what he's referring to over here.
Certainly, when it's a simcha, that's not good for the chasana, for the immediate problems of the Yitzhar, and for the siyat tashmaya of the simcha. Simcha latuga yahafe chasa shalom ala chasin yeshe ben anashim vekala ben anashim bal yero elu em elu vamru ali zevel. Izevel goes down in history, if you recall from this year, as one of the biggest Rishantas ever to walk the face of the earth, did a lot of damage. Her husband, Achav, if you recall, was like 50-50, straddling the fence, and had he not been married to her, which was mistake number one and number two and number three, uh, and she stayed married and wore the pants, literally and figurative, probably. Uh, she was a prutza in Avedis and uh, everything else, and she had a very powerful influence. And she was ultimately killed and was not zeichet to Kavura, except for her hands and her head. It's all they found after the dogs ate everything else, and she deserved it. And Gamara mentions that after they finished eating her, the only things left were the things she used to be mesamech the kala. She used to like going to chasnas. You'll say, what kind of rashanta likes going to chasnas? The answer is, who doesn't like singing and dancing at a chasna with a catchy tune? What's the Kiddush? But Lamaisa, it's a mitzvah. So, Enakash Brocha, Mekapeas Chaikal Beria. La Shota Bereshav Yadav Raglav, Hishahisa, Yetzes, Likras Kala, Merakedes, and Metapechas Lefanel. And he's just pointing out, even Izevel, Izevel was the queen of a Jewish country. A lot of people doing Avadazar, but they were basically from other areas. If you don't know what that soundbite means, look back at the 50 Shiran we had explaining that. But they had a chasna, and she was chazal say, she was Yetzel Likos Kala, not Likos Chasam Vakala, and that's separate processions, and everything was separate. Even in the time of Izevel. I would mention the jury's still out whether she was really Jewish. I mentioned that a few times. I'm not, I'm not fully convinced. Her gayrus got off the ground, didn't get off the ground. She kept mitzvahs at the beginning. Um, we assume she was because uh, her son was the next king, and the king has to be a yid. But if she accepted mitzvahs, it didn't last very long. This mitzvah she liked because it's a lot of fun. And there's an Indian to get into the dancing and loosen up and do whatever the it takes to make the chasen kala more comfortable. The boys and the men by the chasen and the women by the kala, and it's done usually very well today. So the lines have to be drawn, and the tzniyas and adar, which is always moving, but the skatno adaris, unfortunately, things get out of hand, and everybody always asks, wow, we have pictures, and there were there were chasnas in the 50s and 60s, and there were gedalim there, and they didn't have separate seating. The answer is you can't usher the separate seating alpidin. You could say it's not a good idea, and as you have further years, it's a very bad idea. And everybody's masking to that, but you have to pick your battles, and you have to know what's also what's not usher, and when you're fighting battles on Shabbos, Kashrus, and other things, basic battles of keeping the community from, you have to pick your battles and wait till... Uh, uh, somebody from Washington Heights mentioned to me that uh, he never understood that uh, Rabbi Schwab said drush uh, about something in the late 70s and that he never spoke about. It was a pretty important thing. He says, why did he speak about that before? Why are we hearing about it now, 40 years in? I don't know what the cash is. <laughs> there were battles being fought. You, had to fight. you can't fight 100 battles at once. He can't say a drush covering Tayyag Mitzvahs. So you fight 
the most important battles first, and you continue, and uh, you upgrade slowly. They did that in Kashiris. I remember as late as the late 80s, early 90s, we were bringing up things with companies, and sometimes the Akum, the head of the company, says, Rabbi, I've been uh, running a kosher program for 40 years. I never heard of this. So I'm going to explain to him. Yeah, it's the Prima Gautam holds like this, and says so the Shach. We were besamich on the Ramah because we had to first get the Chazar out of the plants. <laughs> so I can't really explain that to him, but from you understand, we're constantly upgrading, and uh, the upgrades sometimes where he Durham the public can handle, which is wonderful by Kashras, Tintamanefish, we're in the middle of that Sugya now, and sometimes I wouldn't even call them he Durham. We were relying on coolers that we had to rely on because they were trying to clean up certain things that were grandfathered in. That was true in Kashras, it was true in Sneas, it was true in Shetlach, it was true in many other things. Not a Kasha. Uh, the standards de facto were pretty low because they were doing a lot of but those weren't the standards they were supposed to be. But of course, yeah. Her son, I hope, is Jewish, but didn't have very good chinuch. But Izeva was his mother. What do you expect? A lineage after that, we hope they were all Jewish. But I did, yeah. But he was Jewish. We assume she was. But the, the standards are pretty horrific. Okay, we'll continue.